over grinding, climbing like clips I'm rhyming, mining like it's the 40. What up, what up? No GPS is in full effect. We're back again. It's Aaron and my good friend Mez. We're doing this again today. It's episode number eight, and we are here with a special one. We're here to talk about the Black Panther Wakanda Forever movie. The saga continues. <laughs> it was a crazy one. <laughs> I don't think that's what it's called, but okay. I know. I just wanted to say it just sounded cool, right? The saga continues. <laughs> Wu Tang, Wu Tang. Just throwing a Bombay at the end. <laughs> yeah, Bombay. <laughs> so, what's up, man? How you doing, my man? What's going on? I'm good. I'm chilling. Uh, can't complain. Blessed. Glad to be here. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing fantastic. You know what I mean? It's almost hump day, almost Wednesday, and I'm feeling good, feeling great. So. I can't complain. Can't complain. Um, Wednesday's like, uh, like the, the like those humps on them whales, right? That the <laughs> them blue people were coming on. <laughs> ah, exactly, exactly. Our kinfolk from Talakon. Um, we get into all that beautiful, great stuff, and they're not from Atlantis. X zero that out. But um, yeah. So Black Panther, Wakanda forever. Um, I uh. I was I was trying to get to the movie slow. I was I was gonna like let a week go by and then like, but you know, you got to it like, but not opening night but opening day, and you were like, yo, you gotta watch this. You gotta watch this. And so I made my way, and I watched it, and I was like, whoa. It hit me in a different way. It hit me. It hit me even deeper than the first one. But the first one hit you deep. It hit me hard, like the first one, and I, th- I think I, I, I had to reflect on why the first one hit me so hard. Like I was in there bawling, like my brother, and my friend were like, yo, what's going on with you? It was just, I couldn't console myself. I couldn't hold back the tears. And it, it wasn't because of anything bad. It was because of this, this ancient mystical place that I always had in my head was now being portrayed on the TV or sorry the screen the movie screen at the cinema and it was so beautiful I didn't want anything to touch it I didn't want anything to ruin this fantasy I didn't want the world to descend upon it and and then I came yeah yeah of course <laughs> and then we made the crack panther but uh <laughs> yo well from a completely political economy point of view because I'm at the time I was trying to understand this uh phenomenon because I was was not paying attention, my friend. Every time these movies came out, I thought, okay, they're big enough. They're even falling within my radar. And I would take note, but I didn't pay attention to the extent that um, pop culture has. It's like this, the, the biggest um, symbolic sponge that absorbs everything from everywhere. So I'm, I'm always interested in that. Wait, so they're doing this now? Okay. If you remember the first trailer coming out in the middle of 2017, had everybody doing the the, the Shuri T'Challa handshake and everybody was right. doing the, the Wakanda thing and everybody was oh the, the trailers I've never seen the trailer the trailer like holy crap what is and then I forgot about it and then a few months later Ragnarok came out and you watched it and he told me I should check it out it's an extremely important film <laughs> which it turned out it was and then uh, and then yeah Panther came out and uh, and then we did a little bit of party and uh, I was okay with it the thing is, I wished there were more, you know, the scene from the first film between Nakia and Okoye after Killmonger takes over the throne. And yeah. there has to be decisions. You know, there's decisions to be made now between the sep- the different um, characters, cast of characters. Yeah. And they speak in the in the, in the dark, in the corner, in the, in the throne room, where Okoye decides she has to stay with the throne because that's her calling. They have this kind of... Uh, hushed whispered you know conversation on uh, on sovereignty on the nation on the you know on the, on the course for what the country should go after this you know this the interruption has finally happened because that's the what i was saying in a teaser that you posted the other day about interruptions into uh, into your history coming from the outside right the pristine fantasy that you're holding to that you didn't want to be crashed in on from outside that is how we kind of think of our you know our um, identity our history our our language, our nation, and all that. And what, what made Wakanda so special is that it is, it is a, is a chemist of the future, you know, uninterrupted past, and then 
and then we land on it on screen and we get to see it in all its kind of grandeur and then within the story the interruption finally happens and the but what makes it interesting is not it's not just like some imperial story you know whatever it's uh eric killmonger uh the, the the a member of the lost tribe as he as he's put it in this film i don't know if you caught that he called uh, riri a, a member of the lost tribe in this film so um yeah 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 so the interruption happens which leads to an an, an interesting conversation and that only happened once maybe twice in the film there is the eric mm-hmm. stuff is more interesting i thought than the, the other stuff technically the film i didn't think it held up as well so i kind of left thinking cool but uh, since then, now I understand the uh, the marvelous world of uh, signification that uh, <laughs> that Marvel has provided for everyone, and uh, yeah. So now we can dig into this film from all angles. For sure, it's a uh, it's an Afrocentric dream. It's it's a it's a hidden place in a hidden valley that that nobody touches. And the thing is, with the second film, like when I watched Woman King, those tears were just flowing. Like I was really inconsolable. That, that film even more so than black panther it was just um uh it was just it was rough it was rough i had to like wait back um and just kind of collect myself by myself um yeah at the end but with this film it didn't hit me like that although it it touched me it didn't hit me like that because the interruption already happened that perfect dream was already interfered or you know interrupted and so it looked like the world i know you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, like this, it's just part of the psyche. It's just this romanticized version of the past that we wish held true. And, and it holds, you know, our kind of our, ourselves as sovereign individuals and our ideas of the nations that we come from as sovereign and not as porous and malleable as they've been made to be. Um, so it, it's just it's just this this incredible dream to watch and to be in and to be immersed in it's an immersive experience um above and beyond anything you know so you know first and foremostly want to you know give my respects to to the king chadwick bozeman we wish he could have been here for this film and it was this film it seemed like a, a real love letter to him from um not just the cast of the movie but uh everybody involved with the movie so I thought they paid tribute to him in a very beautiful way. Just the way the movie opens up with that silence. It's just, it's beautiful, jarring, and, you know, searing to the soul. And you really feel it at that moment. So that was that was next level. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of talk about silent killers, like illnesses you know, that are silent mm. killers. But I think silence itself is a killer. If you just leave it, because right. that's how we bookended it, right? Silence at the beginning, silence at the end. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's how he like kind of managed to uh, draw out all that, all that emotional response. I I, I guess that's right, what right. made me feel uh, more um, responsive to this one, it's because in my mind, my fantasy has already been interrupted. So it's my my um, obsession is with what happens after catastrophe. How do you go on? And this film is about that. In both in real life meta way but then also how they interpret it in the story for, Ch- uh, for T'Challa Chadwick but Wakanda has been uh, you know it's it's been interrupted it's it's now part of the world it's opened up it is uh, the world is, knows about it the world wants something from it mm-hmm. and then here comes another fantastical place that uh, that shows up unannounced so now um, the, the whole film comes about dealing with uh, consequences, dealing with real world shit. So maybe this movie was too real for you to actually be, <laughs> you know, to be emotionally connected to. Whereas with me, it, it worked exactly the way it went. I was I was being uh, I was being played. Yeah. Kugler was playing me, and and the music. The music is a whole other thing. Ah, it's fantastic. It's not it's like it hit me emotionally. It just I was I was so I was so immersed in this one. And in with Shuri's own hero journey that I was so involved in like not just intellectually, but also like somatically. Right. It was a, a psychosomatic experience to kind of go through the grief with Shuri and then and then to go again 
through that moment with her when her when when Queen Ramonda, her mom dies, right? So in the beginning, she's giving a prayer, right? She's a, uh, you know, this very scientific, rational minded uh, young woman. And she's praying to, you know, Bast, right? The goddess Bast, the one who the Black Panther is the avatar for on the earth plane. And so to kind of just the movie when it opens up like that, like I'm connected to Shuri's journey, where she is, you know, who she is. She, she, she just, I think she did a fantastic job, you know, Letitia Wright just hammering this out, you know what I mean? She really wore her heart on her sleeve in this one. And she went somewhere that was required, but was so difficult to do um, because she had to fill in the shoes of, you know, the big man, you know, Chadwick Boseman. I, I found it interesting that uh, in Black Panther, in the first Black Panther movie, you know, we're dealing with the death of a king. And then in this, the second one, we're also dealing with the death of another king. Right? Like it's, it's, yeah. those are interesting themes, of course. The sequels was actually written before Chadwick Boseman actually passed away. So there was a whole different film made um, where obviously another black king didn't die. But obviously, because of real world, world circumstances that bleed into the movie, um, that all has to change. And then like, you know, what are our roles? Like, who are we? Like, are we just the status that's given to us? Or are we more than that? Right. And I feel like Shuri goes down that path. Nakia goes down that path. And then eventually Okoya goes down that path, right? Where she's stripped of her rank and she has to figure herself out, right? It, it's a very it's very postmodern. Now they're they're reflecting on themselves and they're asking themselves very, very, very critical questions about not only their place in the world, but their place within Wakanda. Um and also the black diaspora because uh Haiti is also featured in this. And Mali. And and Mali. And Mali. Yes. Yes. And Mali. Um, the home of the, the great Ali Farka Toure and the great bands like <laughs> Tien Arawin. Ah, the best music. Mali has the best music in the world. I just got to put that out there. <laughs> so, um, like, is there anything else that you wanted to say on that? Like, before I get to, you know, some of the other stuff? No, just basically the film gave me all of the, the Nakia and uh, Koya scene from the first movie that I wanted so much more of. This film was basically two and a half hours of that. So I was happy with it uh, just from that point of view. It tore up the entire um, main kind of cast of characters into different places, into, into different um, mind spaces, emotional states. Everyone had their own issues to deal with, from the queen to, to the general, to the to the princess, to the other, right. to the would-be queen, you know? And then... Um, and in the midst of that, of course, you introduce Talokan and all that, but we, I guess we can touch on that later. What's the, what's the I guess the main thing for me was uh, Shuri. So it starts with a prayer. So even in the, in the moment it happens and she whispers it to herself, you know, like someone who right. wants to believe but does not allow herself to. Uh, but now she's in a position where she kind of she kind of whispers it to herself, like, <laughs> please, like she becomes a scientist who prays, you know. Kugler so starts it off with, yeah, this is Shuri, and I'm going to put her through the ringer. And we start with her as uh, the, the character from the universe that we know as supposedly the most smartest uh, scientist in the in the universe or in the world. And we're going to have her start with a prayer and, sh and a failure and how she deals with that failure. And then by the end, have her kind of combine or reconcile all the different people that we know from the first film or from the, or from this franchise, right. uh, including Eric Killmonger, right? And um, what I guess what I really went what was um, surprised by or even um, kind of happy to see, if you remember the first film, the biggest kind of um, thing that came out in terms of like discussion and debate was Eric Killmonger was right, and how in uh, in the first film he becomes a character that you load up with all the righteous demands the freedom demands the righteous anger with a true history of uh, oppression and discrimination and you make him the voice of that anger right. but then you kill him <laughs> so <laughs> the anger dies with him and what gets replaced in, instead is um, a, a sovereign nation that learns its lessons uh, as much as the the sovereign nation that made Killmonger's uh, life such hell um, 
and, and you know, it, its own sovereignty is kind of undisputed. And they both kind of come to a to an agreement that, you know, it all ends up in the United Nations kind of, you know, um, sure, right. you know what, what do you want to call it? Pageantry, outreach centers and, uh, you know, STEM research uh, grants and whatnot. <laughs> you know, you know, you've seen them in the UNICEF pamphlets, right? There's right. always a smiling black person next to <laughs> next to some uh, European dignitary or whatever. And and a brochure that you've seen in, in many waiting rooms at the at embassies and whatnot when mm-hmm. you're hoping to, to get some sponsorships you know <laughs> but anyway so so that was kind of like the the main thing but for me here in this film i think either he already had this in mind or he wanted to respond to that specifically what i took from this is kugler respects anger he respects righteous anger he respects uh vengeance or at least the feelings for ve- vengeance because sure he doesn't follow the child's mm-hmm. path neither does she follow eric's but she combines it and i think visually even it's displayed in her suit um because it has like hints and accents of both both her uh brothers and uh, eric's and her cousins in the in the suit and um in order for her to get shit done as orlando jones said in american gods <laughs> what awaits her in her ancestral plane is, is her true kind of subconscious being at that moment is which is anger unabashed mm. the world must burn anger and he and he's he's there for a reason she 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 thought she was hoping to see her mother again but it's only because she misses her what she really wanted to connect with is with a way to hit back at the world and then you know we i guess we jump into the end but at the end um he's too strong for her namor is he's about to die and in that very moment it's eric again it's that anger that gets her out of the out of the corner that she's uh, found herself in but then it's her mother who allows her to uh to not uh, fall it's one thing to fail at the beginning of the film but it's another thing to fall mm-hmm. and you have to catch yourself from falling and uh, she makes the right decision and and um and now this is kind of like the the individual through line of the protagonist what the film also does is tell a an, an overarching parallel you know thematic through line of uh colonialism and uh, lost worlds and worlds that could have been and dreams of sovereignty so this kind of runs parallel i guess to the telecon um, emergence in the in, in the early parts of this film as well because in order to tell the shuri part it has to run alongside the namor part right right yeah that's what I, that's what first came to my mind that's the first thing i left the cinema with is like okay i, I respect that kugler respects the anger i mean he's from oakland it's uh he did fruit fruit bell station so he understands it you know yeah, he was he was perfect for this, and I think that Shuri had to, you know, when she goes to the ancestral plane, she she obviously she is distraught to see that uh, Eric Killmonger is there, her cousin, blood relative. Um, she feels like she's abandoned by her ancestors and the gods. That's a feeling. That's a Killmonger feeling, right? Like that's that's a feeling that people have in the diaspora, the black diaspora. Um, wherever they may be, a sense of melancholy, knowing that you're missing something, but never having the thing that you've missed, right? It's a it's a weird type of existential melancholy um, that I think that Lewis Gordon talked about and he wrote about. Um, so it's this weird sensation. It's this weird feeling. And I think that anybody in the Black diaspora watching that understands and knows that feeling and they can identify with that like immediately. And so Shuri has to maintain the, the nobility of who she is as a Wakandan. But at the same time, she has to take the militancy and the urgency of Killmonger and all that he represents and then forge it and alchemize it into something else, into something other than the past or the present. It's a future making and she has to make her own decisions. The past and tradition can't do it for her. And obviously she's somebody who's very critical of the past, right? <laughs> she's pretty very critical yeah. of tradition. She's like, what? Like she doesn't even believe in the Panther goddess. She doesn't believe in past. She doesn't believe in an afterlife. <laughs> That's why Killmonger's there telling her, like, yeah, you don't believe in this, right? Like I didn't believe in it too. So like, let's talk, right? And you see the fire there. You see the flames there. 
Yeah. One of the funniest parts that I I was laughing out loud was when when they in the scene when they learn that there's vibranium outside of Wakanda. <laughs> and Okoye is Ooh. like, but all those all those stories and all those myths and all those fairy tales, those are seared in my brain and <laughs> Shuri goes, That sounds painful. <laughs> oh. That sounds painful. <laughs> like because you know that that's exactly what a, a kind of hyper rationalist secularist would say to a to a, a person of uh yesteryear right. you know like uh, right 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 <laughs> but, but but it's the thing she went from that to a, a kind of believer of faith and i've uh you know of hope and faith and, and and of good she had to find it on her own terms though it had to be different you can't just take hearsay and okay you got to go out there and you got to go make mistakes and you got to go figure it out for yourself. And she comes to that point, but she has to. There's many rivers to cross, as Jimmy Cliff once sang. And so my thing is, yeah, for the Wakandans, it's a landlocked country. There's no water around it. That's interesting. There's no water around it. I remember taking note of that in the first film. The way they set it up here is that it's it has tributaries from yeah the- yeah yeah for sure for sure but on a to understand the black experience the water is so important but we're afraid of the water and yeah. not in the ways that like oh you can't swim or whatever it's the, the water we see the elephants in the film but the water is such a scary thing for us because it's the place where uprootedness happens. It's ever since the year of the elephant, sometime in the 1600s, I think it's 1626. This is why I always say like, it's your greatest success is always followed by your greatest failure. The year of the elephant was called the year of the elephant because the Aksumite army under the guidance and the military command of King Abraha uh, go from Yemen and cross into the Saudi Arabian desert uh, on elephants, on elephants, a, a thing that's never been done by anybody before or after. And they lose, they get to, is it Medina or Mecca? But they lose and they're rebuffed and they're pushed back. So the Aksumite Empire, the ancient empire um, situated in parts of uh, northern Ethiopia and southern Eritrea, um, that expanded out into Arabia. For anybody, you can research it. Um, they said it was one of the three great powers of the ancient world. Um, with Rome being one and China being one. So the Aksumite Empire was a maritime empire. That's where they got their power from. And after the year of the elephant, um, because of different types of historical events and political events and religious events and the advent of Islam, um, the Aksumite Empire, it wanes. Our command of the seas is gone. You know, Mez, have you ever heard it? I'm sure you, you heard it back in Eritrea. You know, they, they used to call the, the, the king of Eritrea used to be called the king of the sea and i would always say but there's he's not ruling over a sea it's because of the old oxamite right so i say all of that to say the wakandans have to go through the water to go through that real black experience and to deal with that grief and they meet other Um, people of color they have to cross the river (laughs) they gotta cross that river man and they didn't want to cross that river and they go there and they meet somebody who's supposed to be a friend but they become a foe. But as the great Roswell de Mikel said, friendship is earned on the battlefield. Together here, we can have respect and form relations after. And so that's what I see as the fire nation nation of Wakanda with the water nation of the Talokan, the, the Mayans, coming together, but they gotta fight first to figure it out. Do you know what I mean? They gotta it's that violence, it's self-making, but at the same time it's alleviating of a certain type of muscular spasm you know what i mean that Fanon talked about the water figured so important like when akoya and, and nakia are having that conversation and the water comes in i'm like oh shit yeah it's happening the water's the water's coming before that kugler did it twice so that was the second time the first time was when um on the bridge you know that that super slow mo shot of the car flipping and Shuri's uh, motorcycle flipping, so they're in the air and it goes slow mo. Yeah, yeah. And then they hit the street and they all and they all kind of like slide across the car, slides across um, the street, the the concrete. And there's a shot that he holds like a wide corner shot on the top of the street where you see all the three and, and including Riri, they're all on the all down and out. And then you see this 
it's almost like uh, the water followed the action and you see there's a little bit of uh, kind of the little tide come in at the corner of the screen it's almost mm-hmm. like this uh, ominous thing like the water is coming for you you know but yeah I'm, I'm with you man it's uh the aquatic has always been used as um what do you call it, a metaphor for like memory right uh, you know from freud to you know oceanic and all that ah. stuff uh because it mirrors our kind of or at least uh, the freudian idea of uh of memory you know of, of something that's submerged something that's hidden from you even though it's inside you that you need to to work out to get mm-hmm. out to the to the surface and then uh and in the case of the Tower Khan a, a lost people had in this uh in this kind of story it uh you can flip it and say that the the thing the the, the very depth of the ocean which is usually reserved for you know the forgotten parts of us like the unconscious and stuff is the very place where they fled to, to in order to maintain their civilization wow. to maintain their freedom their sovereignty mm-hmm. um, whereas for the Africans the ocean represents the, um, a place of uh, disappearance right it's a place where everybody went to and never came back mm-hmm. a place of you know the, the final frontier you know the, the door of no return where once you go through there you're a forgotten person you know we don't remember you anymore right. you become part of the unconscious and it's not up until this you know i think film film as a technology mirrors the uh, the human mind the closest that's like technologically speaking it's only 125 years old but it brings up these things in in ways right in front of us where you can see it you know you can see the iceberg from mm-hmm. the side from below from the top and um, he he does what you're saying like there's a, there needs to be an encounter between these two people in order to understand what the third the 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 third players are you know the the when me and you are talking we figure out what who who else might be mm-hmm. in this world you know and um it takes time for them to get to that understanding that realization namor has his response to that third threat um wakanda has their own because they've already been through this so they kind of are brought into a conflict which Uh, this is probably the fourth time I welled up <laughs> when when Namor and Shuri show up at the final battle scene to to stop the fight. Both of them hanging on either side of the the jet. I was like, damn, that's okay, okay, you really did it, Coogler. You you did it. You had to do. He put you through the hard shit that you had to do, the work that had to be done in order to get to give you that release, that catharsis of, oh wow, uh, people who should be in solidarity are in solidarity, but still. You know, with the room for more story to tell, revolving around that third threat, which we saw throughout the film, which is the CIA, which is uh, Val, who is probably one of my favorite parts of the film. <laughs> yeah, comedic relief for sure. Well, comedic, but also like, I mean, that's Marvel's kind of brand. But um, the the line of her dreaming about getting her hands on the vibranium for the United States is uh, the whole film actually really forcefully kind of. It doesn't beat around the bush. This is the thing that I kind of realized in the in the first Panther movie is that there is enough that the pop culture machine in Hollywood has absorbed from from radical spaces and uh, like Twitter, you know, rebel yeah. rebel cells, <laughs> and what you know, whatever you want to feel like, you know, it's all it's all up for grabs, right? It's all available. That yeah. um, not only do they use it, they use it not even in a kind of flipping it upside down kind of way, like you know. Like uh, for example, Killmonger has to die, right? Or in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, uh, Carly has to die. Um, the, you know, the person who's kind of right has to be shown as an example. If you let this person go too far, the only way out is putting them down, making them a kind of example for what uh, what we should do and we could do better, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of liberal progressive status quo idea that has to be reins- reinstituted afterwards. And um, in this film, he, he, they they don't really do that as much as just show you straight up. The uh, the French military attacks Mali. It has a very much alive and fresh colonial relationship to its uh, former colonial territories. She atta- uh, they attack Mali. Dora Milaje stop them and give you the the, the modern C-SPAN viewer <laughs> the fantasy of rolling them out on the United Nations floor, making them kneel. Address the French representative in French, and have uh, the Queen Ramonda give one of the most fieriest speeches that you, you would ever get. So, 
Yeah, she got to win an Oscar for that. But yeah, damn. <laughs> and uh, add to that the Ross and uh, Val stuff where they had a, you know, between four people conversation in a room about American plans, the American president's plan to de- destabilize uh, Wakanda. This stuff kind of only happened in like old Chuck Norris movies, maybe to a certain level. Because as a response to Russian propaganda, you know, Cold War kind of tactics right. in the eighties, but for this to be now in a toy selling empire, uh, openly, <laughs> is uh, I think it's it's instructive, it's educational. Uh, I, I, yeah, for now that's that's what I got. <laughs> what you got? Ah, I think it's yeah, yeah. No, you're right about that. That's um, I think Kugler did a fantastic job just making it plain as they the kind of let people know the political economy right that landscape what it looks like the real on on what it is and and why wakanda would would want to be secretive about certain things and now they've put themselves in the eye of you know uh you know a saber tooth and they need allies they don't have allies and that's why i think the telecon is and namor are so intriguing for the Wakandans in the beginning, even though they're like, yo, what's going on? Why do these guys have vibranium? What's happening? We're supposed to be the only ones on our job kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and they're up for a surprise. I think also, too, what's interesting about Namor, just to get into into the mythos, into the mythological um, aspects and elements and how they played with it in such a creative and clever way, is is that, like, obviously, Namor, he, the character is the first mutant introduced in Marvel, uh, into the Marvel comics, like sometime back in the 1930s, right? So this this character has been around for a long time, and initially, of course, it's from Atlantis. And like you broke down in the last uh, in the last episode, the the primer that we did for this one, you know, basically breaking down like this is it was basically Greek. It's a, a Greek myth, um, basically based on that. And then this character Namor lives in Atlantis. Um, so this so. The interesting thing I found out was that Kugler, from I think even before he finished the first film, editing the first film, he was already writing for the second one, and he already had his eye out on Namor, and he wanted he wanted the Atlantis Wakandan that battle that um those two competing empires to go at each other. So he was already thinking about this. So I don't know when it happens, when he makes a decision to say, Nah, we're not gonna go with the Atlantean side of it we're gonna flip it we're gonna change it up and we're gonna make them from the mayan homeland i can i can probably tell you a little bit more about that okay it it is true he said he read a lot of the comics and uh, he obviously read every panther comic and he saw that namor comes up a lot and then in the last uh couple of decades they have that rivalry in the comics he thought he was a pretty dope character to play with and then there was an idea for a post-credit scene in the first Black Panther film for um, basically the camera pans up into the throne room on the ground of the throne room. You follow the the floor and then you see uh, wet footsteps. So that was kind of like the tease that they had thought to put in the first film, which they thought, you know, it just didn't fit. So they, they left it. But um, the idea for him to change him to, to a Mesoamerican uh, character was uh, later. That was afterwards. Like, how can we make mm. this actually matter within the world that, you know, within the world that he wants to tell? Because he's hell-bent on diaspora, right? That's kind of like Eric was that in the first film. Riri Williams is that in the second film. And Riri Williams is more, you know, she's very important to this film. Like, as a plot, she's like the a, a living, breathing MacGuffin who starts the whole, right. you know, she, she gets the action going, right? It's all about the chase to get to her. And Wakanda is now a movie in, um, a couple of movies in, I guess, at this time. They're trying to, you know, do their darndest to actually save this girl that they've never met. But now, and 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 before, they would have never done that. It's like Eric says to Shuri. No, 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 no. And that's to the credit of Killmonger, right? If Killmonger doesn't come in, then the Wakandans don't have empathy for Riri Williams, right? That's why the Killmonger character is so important and why he, for me is one of the most important kings in, in in Wakandan history as far as you know the comics go I don't know about the comics but as far as the, the MCU goes he certainly thought of himself as that as well <laughs> I agree I agree with him but to get back to this Namor thing the the mythos is he has wings on his feet like Hermes 
he can in- make himself invisible like Hermes. But he's anti-Hermes because Hermes is a is a is a figure. He's a messenger god. He has no opinions. He's arrogant. He's uh, he has a high libido. He uh, he doesn't settle down. Maybe he just settles down with one goddess. I think it's uh, Hastia who's like. Oh, the high libido thing is true in the comics. Thing because he's <laughs> yeah 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 for sure. But because uh, Hermes for me is is a is a is a representation and a symbol for the type of globalization that we have now, where there are no channels that information, currency, maybe even people can't flow through. Everything is porous. Everything is connected. Right. But what is this name more character? This name more character is like, nah, I'm sovereign. I'm full of plenitude. I'm, I'm so sovereign that you don't even know about me. And Hermes wants to let you know about everything. It wants to let you know about everything that's coming from everywhere. And this guy's like, nah, it's like he's such a decolonial figure. I hope they really picked this up in Mexico. I heard that they really been they've really been rocking with this character. And he's he's like a decolonial hero hero. Right. He's like, nah, forget that. You think that more connectivity is the thing that's going to bring us abundance and prosperity and happiness? No, I think it's the opposite. Wow. Amazing cutting ties you know what i mean <laughs> yeah uh well the actor is a pretty uh big decolonial figure in uh, in mexico Tenochtitlan Huerta. he's uh he's known to be uh he's, he's pretty active in that kind of field i've, see, I've seen some of his um, interviews and he's like oh, I'm a... that's, that's the other thing right these uh hollywood is nothing but people it's not you know it's not a handful of men in in, in, in a dark room conspiring it's just a bunch of creatives and a bunch of businessmen. The businessmen want to make as much money as possible. The creatives want to be able to create as, as freely as they can. So um, part of uh, why the Kuglers and the Tenochtitlans are even possible to operate in that is because the extent to which the free market can, uh, you know, can, can flip everything for profit, including rebellion, including revolution, including... The, uh, the colonial theory and uh, all that stuff so so that yeah even him um the actual actor himself if you want to check him out um has uh, definitely that kind of uh, political history um the thing about hermes is interesting because namor is just, um is roman backwards right and in the comics that was how they always how they adapt this stuff because early on especially they were quite obviously taken from you know real world mythology and and filling up their comic pages with uh kind of more uh, past uh, what do you call it um pulpy versions of uh, what we already know from, from the greeks from the egyptians from the romans and so on and so forth the joseph campbell school right well, yeah I'm, I'm down with that man i like i like the idea that he's more of a cut ties type guy hard borders um i've seen what you people do when you uh when you allow for uh, porous borders and uh, he took his people and went to the deep um and aesthetically and in terms of like the real world parallels that vibranium and uh, across the atlantic was uh revealed to them more as a plant and a shaman knowing how to apply the plant and prepare the plant um kind of mirrors the the african story of african continent being you know rich in resources material kind of hard metallic things even though there's a heart-shaped herb there as well um so the flora and the fauna of either side is kind of connected in that sense mm-hmm. I mean, yeah there's a lot of parallel work um what i was gonna say before i forget the the, the riri part she's an important kind of continuation of the eric she's like the the inverse of eric right she's she has every right to be angry at the world too because i mean it's hinted at in the movie that she's lost a lot she buries herself in, in the work and in the uh in her school eric was also a brilliant guy but he went the other way and in a way like you said eric kind of paved the way for riri to have allies in wakanda as opposed to attackers or you know antagonists they went out of their way to protect her precisely because of that what they learned the lessons that t'challa kind of imparted on the rest of wakanda after what he learned you know mm-hmm. like, all you were wrong right i was like his uh his big uh, shout at the at his ancestors right um so yeah he went out of his way to fix that so now the queen dies protecting this american girl she's trying to save mm-hmm. this american girl's life that's one part of why i thought um kugler is kind of 
always has, he's always thinking of the the diaspora connections across all you know the whole you know the, the water or land and um mm-hmm. for shuri she was always a little bit more of a modern character even in the first film she's a little bit more she's hipper she's younger she's alive to culture to popular culture western culture and between her and riri there's a connection a kind of new young brooding connection of like a an afropolitan hope right kind right. of something going forward what they do with that i don't know but uh i like to see sisterhood in action yeah for sure for sure i hope she gets a, a you said yeah she has her own show right coming up so that's going to be interesting and hopefully shuri makes an appearance that would be fantastic i don't know man she might be big time now <laughs> too big time for that <laughs> I, I already can see the oh the other thing i loved about uh the movie obviously was when riri tells her to come to chicago man maybe catch a bulls game i was like oh shit yes can i go <laughs> <laughs> right, and right. the car even her car got the chicago bulls colors her dorm room had right. the chicago bull flag uh, the chicago flag yeah yeah so i can see the her show starting with the you know oh shit yo man tell us about wakanda and she's like hey man so i just want to go to my garage leave me alone <laughs> i love that character riri was dope um queen queen ramonda was was amazing i, I think that angela bassett just did a fantastic job she was just so regal ho- holy righteous rage she just the way she carried herself my goodness just i don't even i don't even know how to quantify what she did but she did what she did and it was riveting so salutes to the queen <laughs> i think that's the other thing after uh, that goes back to the initial bit about what comes after cat- catastrophe after the uh, catastrophic event traumatic event right a lot of the women, remaining women came together and held it down uh, starting with her mm-hmm. there is that you know um you know just traditional traditionally that there's a lot of work that gets uh, labor that gets divided amongst people in the event of a funeral mm-hmm. and in a lot of traditions that is a lot of the women are given certain kind of roles and this film all the main uh, lead characters were women and they were all given different roles and they're all in the world of like in a, f- a film representation they were also given a lot of space to for character development so um and i think yeah at the top of that is, is ramonda trying to hold everything together and uh coming back to to shuri not abandoning her abandoning her completely for you know not not letting her fall and um nakia going to haiti where she can raise a son by herself in a kind of freedom that's away from pressures of uh, of uh, tradition and sovereignty and royalty and all that right right right, right. that was interesting though to when i watched it it it, it struck me instantly because nakia she's in haiti obviously um, Haiti has a very important history in black diasporic political history and it's the first sovereign black nation and in the beginning of its own journey uh, obviously the sun is, is named after the great uh, revolutionary leader Toussaint, Toussaint um, Louverture I, I, I'm probably getting the last name wrong but um it, it's so interesting because what Namor attempts to do is he attempts to create an alliance. At, at the end of the film, an alliance or at least um, a brotherhood, a, a, a sisterhood or uh, some kind of... He, he definitely calls it an alliance, I believe. Exactly. So there's an alliance that's made that he wanted in the beginning on terms that were not favorable to the Wakandans. They didn't want to do it the way that he wanted i mean his terms was you know kill riri right they're like yo we're not gonna do that we're gonna protect this young black woman by any means necessary so that's not gonna happen and he was just he was unrelenting and he was he was unflinching in that and they they went to war with each other um but they eventually make the alliance you know haiti haiti's an interesting place because obviously it has 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 a very long history and it's right there in uh the caribbean neighboring america so it's beside the greatest world power for the last uh for the last 60 70 80 years um and it's had to deal with deal with um what that means for them and it's been very devastating um but in the beginning you know they had their own diplomats they sent them out try it out let's go to all these different places is there another sovereign black nation out there that we can uh, connect with and if 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 they're not out there then can we 
you know, who's out there, right? And so they make a, they try to make a connection, but they keep feeling like they're abandoned, like nobody wants to mess with them, right? And so after the great battle of Adwa, where Ethiopia beats uh, the Italian colonial forces trying to invade and colonize Ethiopia, uh, obviously there's so much that goes into that and how that happened and when that happened and where it happened. So anyways, this happens in the late 1800s. A sovereign black nation, air quotes, uh, beats off uh, a European nation. And this gets the eyes of everybody. And it gets the eyes of a certain diplomat from Haiti. And his name was Benito uh, Sylvain. And he goes and he meets the Emperor Menelik. And he, he tries to curry favor and say, hey, we have two nations. Let's create this black diasporic alliance with each other do trading you know do all of those types of things right he puts it out there and you know this is when the famous remark that Menelik is is known by by by, by cats like us he says uh you know after uh, Benito Sylvain goes there and he I think he was I think he was situated in Paris um so he goes there to celebrate uh the victory of Adwa, but he goes there also on the anniversary, the hundred-year anniversary of the victory of Haiti uh, over the French. And so the hundredth anniversary of independence. So he, he goes there to celebrate it in uh, Addis Ababa with Emperor Menelik, and he makes his appeal. And uh, they said Menelik listened patiently. Then he uh, he basically declined Sylvain's offer. And um, according to the account of an American, so we can only take it from the mouth of somebody who was interpreting. Uh, Amharic um, he says uh, Menelik says to him um, yours is a most excellent idea uh, the Negro should be uplifted I applaud your theory and I wish you the greatest possible success but you know I'm not a Negro at all I'm a Caucasian so I don't know if he actually said those types of things but he probably said something to that effect and he was essentially being King T'Chaka he was essentially being King T'Chaka he definitely said that uh, yeah yeah he probably said that. you know what's funny though Mass? You see, they win the Battle of Adwa, right? They win the Battle of Adwa. Do you know how they win? They make an appeal to all of the neighboring nations around them because they were nations, whether it was the Barana Oromo or the different kingdoms within the Oromo uh, sphere uh, and all the other nations around uh, Abyssinia. They they literally go to the Barana, uh, to the Oromo, and they say, hey, we have a common enemy. We both are black. We must put away our own religious differences and come together and fight. And then when this guy comes, no, I'm, I'm a white man. <laughs> right. And so like <laughs> we've been we've been begging for this diasporic link for this pan-African link. And we they, they try to make it happen in the 20th century. Obviously, the world happened the way it happened. The world worlded. Um, and so to, to see it in this mm. film, like. To see them pay homage to Haiti, which which deserves respect and honor for what they did and the brunt that they had to carry for being the first black sovereign nation and, and, and getting it by fighting. Um, they go there and the, the son, the son, the, 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 the next heir to the throne is born in Haiti yeah. and named after a Haitian revolutionary. I thought that that was poetic yeah they established so much with that that one scene that's what i so what i was saying earlier about the uh the individual track of our protagonist shuri it establishes a whole lot for her it 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 rewards her with you know for what you for for believing in hope there here's your reward right so not all is lost there's a continuation in the in this child right and then what you just said, you just basically hit the nail on the head because diasporically speaking, the, he's the connection. He's the link, the missing link right. or all these uh, hundred year history of um, attempted connections and uh, appeals and rejections and stuff like that. I think all of that informed this film. The spirit of Haiti is definitely all over this film, especially what's happening in Haiti right now. Thinking of that. Right. Um, right. You can't even say the film goes at France um, in order to deflect from the States because the States is in the middle of this film. 
Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people, I, th- I think from a plot perspective, a lot of folks didn't know what to do with those scenes. They thought they were throwaway scenes when I think they were absolutely crucial to the to the thematic uh, message. And um, that um, address from across the water has never been met with uh, any kind of uh, kind kindness or welcome welcoming kind of embrace and that's the the, the, the chaka that you talk about in, in in our history especially from the so-called sovereign corner of africa which is uh, uh you know the abyssinian empire ethiopia whatever you want to call yeah. it um that's why i like this film i like to read this film through the, the meditation on sovereignty because you mm-hmm. could say well he shouldn't sell his black audience sovereignty as an end goal but i think he's also kind of complicating sovereignty itself its pitfalls mm. um i mean this isn't fred moton stuff it's uh, the whole point is not to be sovereign it's the it's the imposition of subjectivity the way he puts it um that that you, you need to ward against uh, there's this uh deep deep need for wanting for yourself what everybody else has and it's that desire that kind of uh, needs to be questioned, um, which is uh, it's easy to do in uh, which easy to talk about in the in, in the academy and in, uh, in our movies. <laughs> in real life, it's very hard to uh, move away from that. Everybody's one hundred percent gunning and running for uh, for team, you know, insert your flag. And what um, the African diaspora gives you as a, a chance to think through is they don't have a flag. Everything they have to create in real time. Create a flag, create colors, create identity, language, customs, you know, everything they could retrieve from what was lost and all of that. And we have all these this history of them coming over and being rejected, you know, their appeal being rejected. Um, look at Haiti, paying, it, paying that price for a couple of centuries now. And um, I think that's it. That's just it. Our relationship to the water is we forgot you. You're in the water now. And on the other mm-hmm. side of the water is, you know, that's uh, it's more uh, the aquatic is more of a sacred kind of space where you, you you constantly return to find something, you know, whatever you can pick up that that washes ashore onto that side. So, um, yeah, that's what it, the film evoked for me. I think it's uh, uh, Marvel's probably most serious film. They kind of, kind of always said that Black Widow was its first adult film, <laughs> right? And Eternals right. was its first mature film. I think this one is its first serious film. That's what I would mm. say. But, but obviously, words mean many things. You could you could apply that to a lot of other stuff. I'm always interested in what Nate Moore does, uh, the producer for the, for the right. uh, for this part of uh, Marvel. So he did the Civil right. War, Black Panther, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, now Ironheart, right. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. So. And he deals with writers and uh, creatives who who are just like you and me, man. They, you know, they went to college, probably went to places like Morehouse, Howard, had the exact same conversations that you and me and anybody else would have. There's nothing like uber shiny or special about these guys. Check out Malcolm uh, Spellman. Um, right, 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 right. Check out Ryan Coogler himself um, yeah. his, and his writing partner, I think, uh, Cole, Robert Cole, I think his name is Joe Robert Cole. Yeah. Um, these people, these are people who maybe studied English instead of uh, political science or or black studies or whatever, um, or literature instead of uh, cinema studies, instead of philosophy or well, mm. I mean, what I'm trying to say is they're more from the arts and humanities right. branches right, right, right. and the classics, but they also come from um, they read uh, what can I well, how can I put it. Um, there's a kind of subgenre of black fiction writing, writing postmodern, and uh, part of that uh, subgenre is the uh, early 2000s, late 90s kind of uh, takes on both Panther and people like Storm in the comics and um, Captain America, um, the Isaiah Bradley story. Right? Right. right. That's where it comes from, and it kind of got uh-huh. was forgotten, and. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't even think the original writer is still alive of that of that run. Yeah. Wow. And but Marvel owns it. It's just there in the show. It's just there, right? And it, and a lot of hip black guys from the '90s were reading that shit. And right. uh, one of them was Spellman. 
So he wanted to pick that up. Marvel mm. even admit that they think the story was crap. They, they thought it was bad. And maybe it was compared to what whatever they think it was, you know, it's good or bad. But it contained a kind of lost anger inside, mm. contained inside it. Um, people in Harlem, I guess, uh, this is what I what I remember reading is, uh, you know, straight up trading comics that, you know, had uh, had more of a, oh, this is this is the black experience, you know, this is this is hip, this is this represents us type of uh, content. And you know, you know, it's like 20, 20 years later, you got these people now writing for Marvel. So I'm interested in that. Uh, that what slips through and what gets, uh, what, what you know, what yeah. uh, gets left out, I guess. I mean, Tanahisi Coates, who's been writing, I think, for Captain America and also Black Panther, he went to Howard with Chadwick Boseman, right? Like, it's yeah. kind of full circle. Like, they were there in the 90s. People like Ishmael Reed and uh, others, like, of uh, of that kind of subgenre of Black postmodern storytelling. Yeah, that's, that's uh, I was thinking of the name earlier, so sorry. I love it, man. I love it. I think other ideas might come to us after a couple of more watches that we might we might continue to talk about this and the, the different themes that we can glean from this because there were so many different narratives at play within the kind of grand narrative of, you know, what sovereignty is like and freedom and, you know, uh, dealing with existential crisis and battling the nihilism of our age, um, you know, in the central figure of Shuri. I think there's so much here. It's 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 really a it's a gold mine. It's a gold mine. I absolutely loved her from beginning to end. The, the, when I say well up, I really balled up. But <laughs> when he said you you balled uh, in yeah. the first film, for me it wasn't even like the sad stuff. It was also the triumphant stuff, like the rousing 100%. stuff. Like when she 100%. when the music hits when she, and they all touch her and and she <laughs> she does that little arm wrestle with uh with mbaku like yo man this is the this is the most 80s shit i've ever seen <laughs> the music the synthesizers like that synthesizer that, oh my god it yeah, was amazing i thought I, I was watching like an old sylvester stallone film like well, yo, yeah, the way they grab hands they, they, they grabbed hands like yo what is this van damme <laughs> yo, <laughs> they grabbed that, hands that, and the music just swelled up and and the synthesizer yeah. was like yes that yes. action uh, i'm gonna listen to that music now Yo, straight up, that action film nut in me as a kid was like, yo, like, you know what I mean? The guy who was watching Double Double and all those Van Damme movies, Bloodsport and Commando. Even, Pre- and even Predator, right? Isn't that from Predator? Predator. The, the the famous hand hand kind of handshake with the, with the is biceps. Commando show. Or is it Commando? Is it Commando? We've seen Commando many biceps in the 80s, man. It was, it was, a, it was a decade of biceps. It's awesome. Awesome shit. 90s was a decade of abs had everybody trying to set up that's true (laughs) the washboard look wow that's crazy all right all right all right yo this is dope this is dope honestly this was amazing um it's a great talk great discussion and i think i think we're probably going to talk about this more in the future um just to talk about where they can go from now where this is like the end of phase four is it or uh Movie wise, yes, yes. Uh, Project wise, that was the holiday special, the Guardians, the, the oh, Guardians right, right, right. Uh, Christmas special. Yeah. Okay. Oh, maybe we might talk about that. I haven't watched it yet, so. Oh yeah, Star Lord. Star Lord is me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. We'll get to we'll get to understand why that is. Hurt Mama's boy. All right. Yeah. That's that's for the Christmas. That's for the Christmas uh, season, which is uh, upon <laughs> right. us now because American Thanksgiving is uh out the window. So. Um, yeah man peace and love and harmony to all of you listening um it's been a pleasure uh talking about this with you mez we're gonna hit them again in the next episode with andor the finale the last three episodes it's gonna be crazy it's gonna be dramatic look out for that uh likewise man can't wait Stay safe. Alright. Peace and peace. Fall in love with this useless twisting social technology. 
Uh, a rapper, rapper, bring Christmas rapper to end all the jibber jabber. Just listen, you whip a snapper, you six nine, you been an actor, you sleep with the tones and flowers, you do what they do, you coward. The root school me to the power. Uh, yeah, the root school me to the power. Your diamonds is cubic, blue, this I'm Rick Rubin, super gluing. Friends are enemies, friends are enemies.